Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. So we do have some children here. So we are going to do a story for all ages. And we have one of the most wonderful storytellers. So we get the joy of having two stories. So this will be a story for all children. And then we'll sing this little light of mine. If your children want to go play with the other children after this, or they can stay. How you doing? Wow, I love this is like a Unitarian tent revival meeting. I love it. It's so cool. Say amen, somebody. Say amen. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, this is a story I have told here before. It's one of my absolute favorite stories. It's from the great tribe, the Nez Pierce tribe, one of the great tribes of the inland uh, northwest. Their traditional homeland was uh, uh, Lake like the, the, near the town of Joseph, and also the salmon, the snake, the Clearwater Rivers in Idaho and, and Oregon. And this is one of their old myths. And uh, they say that in the long, long, long ago time, when, when animals could still speak and people could still listen, it was that long ago, all of the animal people gathered together, you see, because they had to decide, they had to make a big decision. They had to decide how long the day would be and how long the night would be, right. So they all gathered together, and of course the coyote people came first. What do you think they sounded like? Coyote people? A lot of coyote people here. Right behind them came the mallard duck people. Very talkative people, the mallard duck people. And then behind the duck people, oh look, behind the duck people there were the mole people. Shh, very quiet. Now, of course, the first one to speak about how long day would be and how long night would be, the first one to speak was, who's that? Bear. Lion could be lion, too, yeah. This was bear, and it wasn't just bear. It was grizzly bear. And you see, grizzly bear, he was the first to speak because, well, because he was always the first to speak. You know the type, right? And grizzly bear, he said, Six months day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Six months night. <laughs> well, nobody really wanted six months of day and six months of night, but nobody wanted to argue with who? So you know how it is. Everybody just sort of said, um, okay, I guess we could make that work. <laughs> Compromise is the essence of community. <laughs> Everybody said stuff like that. Everybody except for one tiny little frog. Can you imagine a frog? A little frog looked up at a grizzly bear. And frog just said, mm-mm. Frog said, one day, one night. One day, one night. One day, one night. One. <clears throat> and bear looked all around. <clears throat> and finally he looked down. <clears throat> 
Six months day, six months night. But Frog said, mm-mm. I think Frog was a Unitarian, you know? He said, mm-mm. One day, one night. One day, one night. One Six months day. Six months. One day, one night. One day, one night. One day, one night. Six. One day, one night. One day, one night. Well, they kept arguing, you see. And Grizzly Bear did but what Grizzly Bear knows how to do. Just get louder and louder and louder. Six months day. Six months night. Six months. One day, one night. One day, one night. One day, one night. Six months day. Six months. One day, one night. One day, one night. Six months day. One day, one night. One day, one night. One day, one night. One day, one night. Well, finally, that bear, he shouted so loud, you know, six months day. And he shouted for so long, six months night. Well, he finally, six months day. One day, one night. What happened? Grizzly Bear lost his... So you know what Grizzly Bear did? Grizzly Bear just went way, way off into the mountains. And up there, he slept, and he slept, and he slept about six long months. But that little frog just kept speaking up. And so ever since that day, every wintertime, when it gets cold, well, you watch, Bear still goes to sleep a long, long time. But all the rest of us, we just have one day, one night, one day, one night, one day, one night. So you know what? The Nez Pierce say, you don't have to have a big voice to make a big difference, but you do have to speak Let's thank the great Nez Pierce for that story. Rights of Will Horniak, from Irish myths and Russian fairy tales to Mexican fables and Oregon tall tales, storyteller Will Horniak weaves a wide web of oral traditions into thoughtful and engaging performances. So we are so lucky today to have Will at our disposal to hear another story slash sermon. Good. Thanks so much for the invite. I really love coming out here, and it's nice to see you all in three dimensions. I think the last time we were together, it was... Uh, on uh, on Zoom in Zoom land, you know, which is nice too. But it's good to be here. It's good to pe- see people's noses and mouths too. You know, they sometimes call storytelling the theater of the face. So it's sort of hard to do with a mask on. You know, so well the uh, title of today's program is called the Holy Longing, and the idea is that we all have this longing to to know. Uh, the deepest aspect of ourselves and to give forth into the world from the deepest aspect of ourselves. And there's always this longing for authenticity, connection, and beauty that, that we have. And, you know, you might think, well, why would that be a problem to be connected with the deepest part of ourself, you know? And um, uh, af- after all, Oscar Wilde, the great Irish poet, he once said, uh, just be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. 
right? But that's a lot easier said than done, I, I think. Um, even um, in the 19th century, there was this famous uh, Jewish rabbi. He was a holy man, a great storyteller, a great teacher. His name was Zuja. Isn't that a great name? Zuja. And Zuja was very old. He was on his deathbed, in fact, and all his followers were, were around him. And he woke up from a, from a dream, from a nightmare, actually. He was, he was weeping. He was terrified. And they said, Zuja, Zuja, what is it? And he said, I, I dreamed I was at the gates of heaven. And, and the Lord was there, and I now know what, what he will ask me before I enter paradise. And they said, well, what will he ask you? And, and he said, well, he will not ask me, Zuzia, why weren't you like Abraham, a man of unshakable faith? And he won't ask me, why weren't you like Moses, who led his people out of exile into a promised land? And he won't ask me, why weren't you like King David, you know, who, who ruled with a, with a poet's heart and, and songs? And they said, well, Zuzia, Zuzia, what will he ask you? He will ask me, Zuzia, why weren't you more like Zuzia? You know? And I think ultimately that's the conundrum that we sometimes have is that there's this deep, soulful, complete aspect of ourselves and there's always this longing to be fully connected to it. Well, how, why, why do we forget? How can we get disconnected? Well, the, the Taoists say it's because we get enamored with what they call the 10,000 things of the world. You know, everything from mowing the lawn, uh, changing a diaper, paying the mortgage, all that stuff. You know, confuses, confounds us. And the, the Hindus say it's because we get wrapped up with maya, which, which is illusion. Uh, we, we think that the things of the world are actually solid and, and we get mesmerized by them fall in love with our own creation at times. The Greeks say that right before we came into the world, it was the three sisters, the three sisters of fate. Uh, there was Clotho, and she was the one that, that, that threaded the thread of our lives, this beautiful thread of our lives, and in it was our fate and our destiny, all this intelligence. And then uh, Lachesis, who drove a motorhome, she said, she said, she was the one that would cut the thread so our life would have a certain span of years. And then, and, and then it was Atropos, the other sister of fate, who would twist the thread to give our lives a twist of fate. It also gave us a certain style and angle of approach. So just before we came into the world, with all that intelligence and knowing exactly who we are, what our fate and destiny was, we just happened to drink of the waters of the river Lethe. And you might remember from Greek mythology, if you drink of those waters, what happens? You forget. Right. So right before we come, I know, <laughs> I know. It was so good, and then we drank that. It's like, who am I? What Do you know who I am? Do you have any idea? Right? So on one hand, we come seated with all this knowledge and destiny and information, and on the other hand, we forget everything about it, which is one of the reasons that we call education, the root of the word education is educare, which means to draw out, to draw forth what's already there. You know, Far from go for the gold, the old idea is that the gold's already here. Right? It's a matter of being in touch with it, revealing it. And sometimes it's hard to do. We need other people to help us uh, to do such things. So um, one of the reasons we're interested in stories is that as well as they can be entertaining and fun, they can also give us a clue into who we are, some aspect of ourself that we might have forgotten, some clue that we need to get. And I wanted to tell you a story today from the great tribe uh, in Mexico known as the Wixarica people. You want to try that? The Wixarica people. Just nice to try a different language on, you know. Uh, we, we often know them. That's what they call themselves. That name, Wixarica, actually means the healers. We know them as the Huichol people. Some of you might be familiar with the Huichol tribe. 
They live in the Sierra Madre Mountains of Western, uh, New Mex- of Western Mexico. They're incredible artists. They're also healers. They heal with herbs and plants and barks and berries. Uh, they also heal with vision, uh, with, the, with the peyote plant, the cactus. And um, they're a tribe of, of shamans, a uh, great, great tribe of, of, of transformers and magicians. When the Spanish arrived, they refused to fight with them. They just went deeper into the hills. They wanted so much to retain their cultural identity. And when the missionaries arrived, the same thing happened. They said, we already have uh, our ways. And so they went deeper into the Sierra Madre, which is where they live to this day. Well, they say that in the long, long, long ago time, the great spirits made the world. There was Tatawari, that was Grandfather Fire, and Takuyase, Father Sun. There was Mother Rain. There were the plant spirits and the wind spirits, and they made the world, and it was so beautiful. It was so good. But something was missing. And so all the great spirits gathered. And Mother Rain, she said, I make these beautiful waterfalls. But who is there to dive into them? I make rains fall from the sky, but who is there to quench their thirst from my waters? And the plant spirit said, indeed. And I have made the cactus and put the ripe fruit on top of it. I put the dreaming medicine inside of it, but who is there to know it? And the wind, he said, and look, I make the pine trees dance, but who is there to see the dance? Who is there to hear the song of my wind through the pine boughs? And so the great spirits, they longed, even the great spirits, they longed, just as we all longed. They longed to be seen, to be known, to be received, to give their gifts. And so they made the Wixarika people the Wichol people. And they lived on the great plains of Wirikuta, a great wide, wide plain ringed by mountains. And things went along for a time. It was when the tribe was very young that a child was born into the tribe. It was the fifth child. That's a very important number to the Wixarika people, the fifth child born. And um, so the parents went to the, the, the one known as the Marakame. You want to try that one? The Marakame. What I'm doing is an ancient oral tradition. It's called keeping the audience awake. It's very important, okay? And the Marakame, he was... He was uh, what was known as the shaman. He was the one who understood the language of the spirits as well as the people. He was an intermediary between the, between the two. And the parents said, please, Marakami, find the name of our child. Find the deep name that has been seated within him. They asked him to please find the name because they had, a, they had an understanding that every child, every person came, that came into the world had a sacred name. But it had to be uncovered. It had to be discovered. And the Marakami said, I will do that. And so he prayed and he fasted. He went off into the wilderness. And then he went into the land of his dreams, night upon night upon night. And one night he had this dream. He was standing on the plains of Wirikuta. And he was holding this infant in his arms. And he looked down. He smiled. And the infant opened his eyes and smiled at him. Then suddenly a shadow came over. And the Marakami looked up. And there was this enormous, powerful, majestic eagle flying above. And right away the Marakami knew this was what was known as the sacred eagle. And he wondered, and, and he cried out, he said, sacred eagle, if it is in fact, if it is in fact your name that should be given to this child, please give me a sign, show me something. And he waited and waited, and then he saw something drifting out of the sky, spiraling down and down and down. It was this beautiful eagle feather. It landed right on the forehead of this boy. And he said, aha, the name of this child is sacred eagle. 
And he was so happy, he went back, and he, and he told the parents, come, gather together, get all the villagers together, just as we're gathering together right here. And he said, I have great, great, great news. I have a great announcement. The name of this boy, for I saw it in my dreams, I was given a vision, the name of this boy is Sacred Eagle. And the parents, they smiled. But when the Marakami looked out, the people, they, they frowned, they looked down, they shook their heads. And someone said, no, 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 Marakami. No child has the name of an immortal. This sacred eagle, that is the name of an immortal creature. That is not a good vision. You must go back and find another. Consult the spirits. Go into the land of your dreams. But this child will not be named sacred eagle. The Marakami was disappointed, but he did as the people requested. He went back. He consulted with the spirits. He fasted again. He went into the land of his dreams, and days passed, and months passed, and phases of the moon changed. Never was another vision given to him for that child. And so he grew up without a name for a long time, which is considered a dangerous thing. But after a while, when he was about seven or eight, they could tell that this one, this boy, he would climb the steepest cliffs and to the bird nests, and he would take some eggs from the bird nests, and he would feed his family with those. And as he grew, he was very good as a hunter. He could make traps to trap the rabbits and, and the squirrels. And then later, as he, as he was a youth, he learned to hunt the deer. And to hunt the deer back in those days, what you did is you ran after them sometimes for days until you tired them enough where you could get a clean bow shot. And he was so swift, they finally gave to him the name Fast as Deer. And it was a great honor to be called that, for he was bringing meat to the tribe. Time passed. He grew from a youth now into a young man. And at last there came a time when, not unlike the time we're in now, a drought came among the Weeksarika people. Season upon season, no rain fell. And the winds that blew across the desert were withering winds that dried everything. The plants died. The animals went off to find food and water elsewhere. And the, the Marakami said to the people, now gather together. We must make great ceremonies, sing songs, dance dances, pound on our drums. We must appeal to Mother Rain to have compassion upon us. And so they did. Day after day after day, they sang beautiful songs, but nothing changed. And finally, the Weeksarika people had only the strength to lay in their huts and to await death to come. They were so weak. And it was in that time in the most dire of circumstances, which is sometimes what we need, the most dire of circumstances, that fast as deer had a dream. And in his dream, he looked up, and who should he see flying above him but the sacred eagle? And in the dream, the sacred eagle spoke. And he said, now listen to me, fast as deer. The only way that this drought can end is to do these things. And he gave him very specific instructions. And in the morning, he woke up. And fast as deer, he ran to the Marakami, to the wise one. He told him of the dream. And the Marakami, it might surprise you to know, said, No, no, no. Who do you think you are to speak to the great spirits like Sacred Eagle? No, forget this vision. It has no use to us. But the next night he had the same dream. And the next night, in the next for five nights, he dreamed the same dream. And then he decided to act upon the vision in his own heart, what he had seen. He went into the woods, and this is the instruction that was given to him. He cut down a tree, and he was a hunter, after all, who used bows and spears. And, and from one of the trees, he made five beautiful spears, long spears. He carved them. And as the sacred eagle told him, he, he tied a, uh, an eagle feather to each one. And then the next day, when all the spears were completed at dawn, he went out way out into the wide plains of the Wirakuta. And as the sun rose, he took the first spear. 
and with all his strength, <laughs> he <laughs> cast it. And it just shot high, high into the sky. And it seemed to sing, to whistle as it traveled far into the sky and through the rays of, of Tatiyasi, the father's son. And <laughs> when it landed, just like that, a wind began to stir and blow. But it wasn't a hot, withering wind. It was a beautiful, cooling breeze. And it blew into the village. And the people stirred their eyes open because they hadn't felt a cool breeze in so long. He took his next spear. And he threw that to the south. Traveled far and high. And when it landed, just like that, there was a crack of lightning and then thunder and the people woke up they sat up now they looked around they wondered what was happening and some watched out their doors to see out there on the plains there was fastest deer with his third spear he threw that to the east up and up it traveled and when that spear landed just like that the clouds formed and the skies opened and the rain began to fall and the people now, they ran out of their huts into the wide plains, singing, dancing, giving great thanks to Fast as Deer for saving the people. But then they noticed, how many spears did he have? Four. That's right. Nope, five dreams, four spears. That's good. There'll be a test at the end of this, okay? <laughs> he had four spears. He had one left. And they said, you have saved the village with the water with the breezes, with the thunder and the lightning, what is the nature of this fourth spear? He said, I only know what Sacred Eagle told me, to throw it to the west. And he threw the last spear, and when it landed, the people waited. And then they, they looked in awe as this enormous bridge of colors built itself into the sky. It was the first rainbow of the world, this enormous, arching, radiant rainbow. And they gasped. They'd never seen such beauty. But they didn't know what it was. They didn't know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What is this? They were afraid of it. And Fastest Deer said, it was this spear that caused that, that arch of color. I will see what it is. He walked to it. It was, it was a, some distance. And when he got there, he noticed there were steps leading up into the rainbow. What do you think he did? He was afraid. He didn't know what to do. But, but he took a step and then another and then another. And the strangest thing, as he took these steps, he began to transform. His arms became these great wings with, with great strong pinion feathers. And beautiful down feathers sprouted from his breast. His feet turned into the talons of an eagle. And at last he had a proud beak and eyes that saw far into the world and deeply into the world. And the people watched as now... Fast as deer, he, he came to the very middle of the arch of the rainbow. He spread these wings and he flew. And he flew round and round and round and round the village. And as he did, of course, the people looked up and they cried out, You are Sacred Eagle. You are Sacred Eagle. They brought out the drums. They sang their songs. They danced. They told stories. They celebrated, you know. Because, of course, it was way, way back then as it is right here and now that whenever f someone finds his or her true nature and expresses his or her greatest gifts, it is an occasion of great healing for the people and a time of great celebration. Well...
At least that's what the Weeksarika people say. But I'm thinking if they don't know, who bloody well does? And that's the story. Thanks to the Weeksarika for that tale. So I just wanted to mention a few things about that story. Then we'll have meditation. Is that right? And then we'll have some opportunity for discussion. Um, the, the first thing is this. I, I love how the story begins with the longing from the great spirits themselves. You know, the longing from the wind and the water to be known, to be seen. Uh, you might say there's, there's what they call the anima mundi, the soul of the world, you know. And um, uh, these, these great elements that we sometimes consider whatever natural resources or raw materials, the weeks people say it's beyond that. They have a spirit. They have a soul. They have an identity. They long to be seen as well. And I was reminded earlier this, uh, uh, it was late spring, I took a rafting trip down the John Day River in central Oregon. And I had, uh, f- the last four days I was on a solo, just myself, so I could stop wherever I wanted to. And sometimes I would just pull over and sit under the shade of a tree and just look at, these, at the beauty of these basalt canyons or listen to the singing of birds or listen to the singing of the river as it go by. And it was just a way of just receiving the great gifts of, of the world. And I, I have a feeling that, that the world longs to be seen, to be known. Um, so that longing that the world has is also a longing that we have for our deepest self to be known, for our deepest gifts to be given, to be seen, to be received. The second thing I'll mention is that all of those characters in the story out there are also inside of us, you know. This idea being that, you know, we all have that child that comes in already seated, you might say, with intelligence and a destiny and a sacred name. And sometimes it's not always easy to find. There's also that part of us, you might say, that's the Marakami, the wise one, the one who listens to dreams, who speaks uh, with, the, with the elders, who, who, who appreciates the other worlds. And we also, of course, have that sacred eagle, that, you might say, eternal part of ourselves, that majestic, radiant, beautiful nature, like the sacred eagle or the rainbow itself. And then, of course, we also have inside of us, we can probably all relate to this, the villagers that say, what? You think you're sacred eagle, huh? Well, I have, a, I have an idea. You're not, okay? And don't even be saying that name. It reminds me a little bit of my, my wife. Uh, her name is Conchetta Antonelli. And when she was a girl, they gave her the name Conchetta Antonelli. But they refused to call her Conchetta. They would call her Connie. Right? And when she was 16, she said, um, I, I want to be called Conchetta now. They said, no, 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 you're, you're Connie. They kept calling her that. And every time she would say it, she was ruthless. She would interrupt, my name is Conchetta. And I said, it's so funny. That's the very name that they gave her. But she had to, like, earn it, you know. And I, I sometimes feel like that's true sometimes about our most basic identity. Uh, it, it isn't always well-received. It isn't always welcomed. We have to find it. And sometimes we need the help of others uh, to, to do that. Um, a third thing I'll mention is this. Um, in the story, you notice that he is named, this boy is named Fast as Deer. So you might say he's given a name for what skill and talent he brings to the village. Right? And this is a good thing. I mean, it's good to be a hunter to bring meat. Right? But, but sometimes we get known only for our talents and our achievements. Right? And, and th- this can create amnesia that there's a deeper self as well. You know? We live in a society of, of great achievement. You know, go for the gold. You know, there's only one number one, this kind of thing. And uh, sometimes if I'm just known for my achievement, just known for 
you know, the load I can carry or, or, or those kinds of gifts. Uh, I can create a sense of amnesia that there might be something deeper there. When I was 25, I got a grant to work. I was a newspaper reporter, and I went to South America. And my dream was I was going to be the next Hemingway. I was going to be a foreign correspondent. And within about six months, for some reason, I don't know what it was, but I just fell off a cliff. Uh, I wasn't interested any longer. It's just my energies had changed. And part of it was being in the Andes Mountains where you can look out, you know, 20,000-foot spires. I spent time in the, in the jungle, uh, did a lot of hiking. And I think part of it was I saw a landscape that was so vast, vast and a world that was so big and new that I felt very small. And that was a good thing for me. Because as well as feeling small, I also felt that, but at the same time, I am part of this, this grandeur. I went through three months of serious depression. Didn't know what to do. At, at age 25, I thought I had failed. You know, I could never return home. And, um, and then I started reading. Uh, I had a book of the Norton Anthology of English Literature. Anybody ever had to carry that thing around? It's about 10 pounds. But I would open it up. I had never had read poetry, but the poets spoke to me. And, and oftentimes poetry and myth will speak when you're in difficult times. The poet spoke to me, and I realized in some ways I wasn't alone, that there was a language that, that the poets speak, that the musicians speak, that the, the storytellers speak, that travels throughout time. Right. One of my favorites was Walt Whitman, who said, I stop somewhere waiting for you. You may not know who I am or what I mean, but I will be good health to you nevertheless and filter and fiber your blood. And I realized that even though I felt alone, was in a totally foreign country, didn't speak the language that well, uh, I, I, I was alone. I had ancestors. I had friends. And uh, eventually I began to write poetry and some short plays, which eventually led to um, doing storytelling. Uh, the last thing I'll mention in the story, is, which I think is interesting, is um, it's not until there's dire circumstances, a drought comes, that people are pushed to the edge. And, and sometimes that's what's required. Uh, death is near. And sometimes it's not physical death. Maybe it's an emotional death, a psychic death, just that uh, uh, we need to come to the end of doing something in a certain way, you know. And then finally, there's a realization that, in fact, this child's true identity is beyond fast as deer. And two things happen, which I think are important and relevant to today. Uh, when, when, a, when a village, when a culture refuses to acknowledge the sacred name of someone, it, it probably means it's refusing to acknowledge the sacred name of many. Not only that, if, if, if it, we refuse to, to acknowledge that, we refuse also to acknowledge the sacred nature of the greater world. Right? And so you might say the soul of the trees, the soul of the forest, the plants, the rivers, the rain, that's no longer a sacred thing. It's simply natural resources that we can exploit as we want to. And what's, what's important is that when one person finds the nature of their sacred name and recovers that, it brings a blessing to all as well as him or herself. And um, Michael Mead, a great storyteller, once said, um, the nature of life in part is to find the trouble that we were meant for. You know? And I always like that because life does involve trouble. You just want to make sure you're in the trouble that you were meant for. You know? And uh, oftentimes we can look at trouble as an opportunity for, you know, for, for transformation. So. <laughs>